welcome to another football podcast with myself, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell. It is episode 10. We made it to double digits. Fellas, today we're going to chat the North London Derby, El Clasico, Toronto FC win in Philadelphia, Vancouver Whitecaps against Minnesota, Gio Dos Santos, Zinedine Zidane, Stephen's favourite, Romelu Lukaku, and much <laughs> more. We're recording this podcast on a Saturday night. I think it's still Saturday. We've been going all day. Yeah. Uh, it is still Saturday. It's Saturday night. So if you're looking here for Liverpool versus Everton takes, we will not have them for you. Sorry about that, but you know, we're here for everything else. I mean, we've watched about 15 matches in the yeah, last we 13 can't do hours. Everything. It's going to be difficult to get our thoughts in order here, isn't yeah. it? We've watched so much football, but exciting day of football. A lot of different leagues and different uh, pieces of quality from all over the world. It was amazing. We've been watching games in Italy, Spain um, and MLS, but we have to start in the Premier League. And we're going to start with the first game we watched this morning at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, no matter where you're listening to. I'm sure you saw some of it. We'll start with the North London derby at Wembley. Ended up Tottenham 1, Arsenal 1. First draw for Spurs in 32 matches. Their run for Portsmouth's record from 1928, which stood at 38 draws. They had games without a draw. Um, their run is over. And in the end, they had, you know, uh, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to thank for that because in the end, it was a rubbish penalty, although probably just as served at that point. Yeah, just as served because it shouldn't have been giving, uh, given the penalty kick, Davinson Sanchez. We thought at first, he was very clumsy. It was, it was silly that it was even he was even that close to... Obama Yang as he made the run and we felt there was some contact with the feet but there wasn't it was the wrong decision from Anthony Taylor who had a, a very difficult uh, afternoon in England morning here with some Strange of his decisions it was world, it was weird it was a difficult game to ref but he, he, he got big decisions wrong and, and that was the biggest and he just thought Arsenal were going to come away with the three points and it would have been a disastrous result for Spurs. They were they're not in great form right now, and with uh, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United breathing down their necks, then it really would have made third and fourth place up for grabs, mm. you know. And, and, and Spurs would have been on that slide. You never like to see that uh, in the Premier League because you know it's very difficult to get victories once your confidence goes. And at the moment, I do feel like even although things look very rosy in the Champions League, there's there's not a great feeling in that football club just now they're not playing their best form at probably the worst time of the season to be to be lacking uh, consistency yeah it would have been one point between the two teams wouldn't it if yeah. it ended up uh, you know to, to, for an Arsenal victory but in the end that's been stretched and with Tottenham still to go to Manchester City and Liverpool it's far from now far from a, a, a you know rudimentary that they're going to make the Champions League top yeah. four and it looks like they will but um, we talked a lot about Spurs lately I do want to talk about Arsenal and I thought their approach to the game was really really impressive you know a lot to like about what Unai Emery has done. He made big decisions by not starting today, not starting Aubameyang, um, going with Lacazette, playing Ramsey just off him, playing almost like a narrow defensive back four at, at times as well. And then in transition, Mkhitaryan kind of slotted in as a right yeah. wing back. So there's lots of different interchanging tactically. Um, and th- yeah, it has to be said that a lot of players pl- played at a very high level. Yeah, they really did. And they, they were very solid defensively. And you're right, KJ, that the, the fullbacks tucked inside. Mustafi was obviously playing right back and so you expect him to naturally want to come in closer to the centre half but Monreal also and it meant that a great deal of work was needed from Mkhitaryan and, and Iwobi in the wide areas discipline as well to do that and uh, often in that case you can end up with too many men back you can't then you know possess the ball and, and bring it forward and look dangerous but they had the ability to break really quickly a lot of that to do with the intelligence of Ramsey scoring that that first goal was just a brilliant goal from his point of view and the, the decision to pick him is testament to 
the character that he is, the professionalism that he has. He's obviously going to play for Juventus in the summer, but mm. in such a big game to still trust Aaron Ramsey ahead of Mesut Ozil and even some hybrid form of shape with Obama Yang in there and different players just tells you the respect that Unai Emery has for him and the professionalism and, and, and trust that the club still has in, in Ramsey I thought was incredible and it was a brilliant goal when Yama switched off and, and, and Sanchez who had a very shaky day at the defence central defensive area for Tottenham made a big error but Ramsey was, was clinical pace is not one of his strongest points so he had to get there really quickly then compose himself just as quickly and, and just really uh, outsmarted Lloris didn't he look like he was going to go across him and yeah. sat him Lloris down Lloris thought for sure he was going right oh, yeah. he, he was using his right foot and Lloris I, plants his left foot down the ground and then he's done yeah I did as well I don't know about you but we normally see yeah. Ramsey maybe because of that lack of pace he, he goes for the finish and, um, and I don't think it's one of his strongest parts of his game finishing to be honest especially one on one but this time it was brilliant he just was so calm lovely faint and just as the defenders trying to get back slides it into the net and a, a great goal some that they deserved at the time I thought they were easily better than Tottenham in the first half second half a bit more even but you're right the game plan was perfect they were, they were more solid a bit more pragmatic respected Tottenham but broke really quickly yeah two games this year where they played Tottenham and they've been the better team even though yeah. they didn't win the game you know so a uh, lot to like about that Socrates was very good defensively yeah he was solid uh, very good again Leno made some tremendous saves um, I think it's important for him to continue that trajectory to try and enhance his reputation in, in English football you mentioned Ramsey's first goal in over two months since uh, January 1st in the Premier League traditionally about a player gets five or six goals a season so um, you know it was important for him to get a, another goal there that took Arsenal into the lead Tottenham forced the way back in it in the end Pochettino did what he has been doing lately by throwing on a number of players to try and attack and win the game um, it led to a controversial um, goal yeah you know that has to be said at the time it looked like Harry Kane was offside didn't it With it, well what yeah. happens here is there's a free kick for those who haven't seen there's a free kick um, cross ball comes into the box Harry Kane is bundled over by Mustafi yeah definite push push yeah. yeah, we've accepted that. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Mustafi, we've accepted that he gives away penalties regularly <laughs> uh, at, at this point, yeah. um, unfortunately for Arsenal fans. And and at that point, um, the referee points to spot. Anthony Taylor reacts to the penalty decision and, and upon replay, it looked like he was offside. Yeah. Um, since then, we've done some research and we've looked a little bit more into it. And we've knew, I mean, we know the rules, but at the time, these rules are, are consistently changing. And I think that it's important to note that perhaps the decision that the officials came to and the conclusion that they came to were actually the right ones. Yeah. Weren't they? Yeah, to the letter of the law, they were the right decisions. Uh, first and foremost, Hurricane is offside. The flag should have went up, but he is supposed to wait. And then the rule is we thought at that moment as he as, as Kane sorry is going towards the ball then you know the, the flag should certainly went up and it, it makes it the wrong decision but yeah. we've learned it's that he has to be in the action of, of trying to attempt to get to the ball yeah so this is the, the, the what we found since so it's basically a lot of this needs clarity and I understand I haven't watched this because we've been busy watching 19 games today yeah. but match of the day the famous highlight show in England also yeah. suggested that he, they felt he was offside as well so there's a lot of confusion here I've reached out to people within the industry this is the contact that, that 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 I had who messaged me saying, basically, it comes down to the classification of the wording making attempt for the ball, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, we have to we have to say, you know, when 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 they make, if he is fouled as he's trying to play the ball, then he's committing offside. 
uh, and the penalty wouldn't be given. But if the penalty, the penalty is the correct outcome if he's fouled before making an actual attempt on the ball. Yeah. They, are the, they are the rules. Yeah. So let's get into the interpretation of the rules. So what is the classification of making an attempt for the ball? Well, that is actually, if, if you're just dropping into the zone, it isn't classed as attempting to play the ball. That is just a natural movement of the game going forward. It's only when you actually jump or try to touch the ball that you've considered to be in the act of playing or attempting to play it. That's the only time you get penalized for being offside. Prior to that, if you're fouled, it's a penalty. Yeah. That's actually what happened, isn't it? Because it, it, we're talking very split seconds here. Yeah. But in those rules and those words, Mustafi bundles him over before Kane gets an opportunity to do any of that, doesn't he? Yeah, when you read that out like that, then the correct decision was made. But I'm going to talk as a former player and, and say how ridiculous that is. It's absolutely absurd. He's going towards the ball. Mm. <laughs> He's going to make an attempt to, to to play the ball. And if you're defending him, you're already annoyed exactly. that he's in an offside so position. So first of all, he's in an offside position. You keep your line up nice and high. Lovely line from Arsenal. There was probably four players offside. Kane, the most obvious, and the one that ends up getting fouled. And then as you're going back towards the ball, uh, not a wise decision from Mustafi, of course, to push Harry Kane in the back, but he feels the Tottenham striker's just going to nod the ball into the net. Mm. So um, he's, he's clearly... This gets really complicated here because he's clearly making an attempt to go towards the ball, but he's not in the action of of the letter, heading the, the ball, letter of the jumping law is not. the letter yeah. of the law. So to that point, it's right. And another point I want to make, KG, is that the, the assistant referee on that side was not in a great position. He was leaning into the play. Mm. I don't think he saw it properly. And there's no way, in my opinion, that he holds that flag down, knowing all the interpretations, all that stuff we just went through. I'm not saying he doesn't know the, the rules like, you know, very clearly. Of course he does, but... I just think he got it wrong and then he got bailed out by the actual letter of the law or the rule. I just don't think he saw the, the offside decision. I think he was in a bad position. Mm. I don't think he would have waited that long waiting on Harry Kane to make the motion of jumping to then head the ball. I just Or think, maybe he will in the new rules with VAR because he's yeah. telling them to do that. You well, know? exactly. But in the Premier League, that's that's not the case. Not now. When it's, it's uh, you know, when it's tight, when it's touch and go, like they were supposed to do in the Carabao Cup, there was the, the, the infamous one with Hazard near yeah. the end wasn't right. it where he should have waited and, and the assistant referee didn't but in this one I just think it was an error he got bailed out a little bit because the letter of the law of the rule the, let, the, the rule itself is absurd it needs to change it's so difficult to be out there in that park trying to defend not knowing if he's offside is he involved in play is it second phase all this stuff that has to go through these defenders minds at you know a nanosecond things are happening so quickly out there that you know, to think about all these things at, at one time. There's an art to defending. There's an art to squeezing a lineup and making sure that you, you, your team's compact and stuff. And we're getting to the point with all these interpretations of the rule. It's almost like, why would you even play offside? You maybe you'd be better just dropping off. Which is some of the South American teams they defend on their their uh, you know six yard line. They're, they're very deep, and then we see some forward progression European teams that are extremely high up, but. With, with this rule and, and with the way that it can be uh, perceived, it can become really complicated. Yeah, it can. And that, that rule, as you said about changing, was only modified in 2017 yeah. to, in, in, to in, interpret the rules that we just laid out. But I'd, I'd love, sorry to interrupt, I'd love sorry. for us to go through England, KG, and, and ask the players, because I, I know it happened when I was playing. Obviously, I'm not playing anymore, but we never knew about it. We're, we're pretty clued up on most of the rules. But I'll bet you more than half the players don't, don't really know that. 
yeah. they feel that Harry Kane's offside there. He's running towards the ball. They probably know if Harry Kane's clearly offside and he's not moving, he's not offside. But when I'm running towards the ball, they probably felt he was offside. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it's that, you know, that fair. You know, and ultimately the reason for rules are for fairness. You know, you're bringing rules to stop people gaining an unfair advantage. You know, ultimately you want the playing field to be fair. And whether that, we just went through it and now our listeners are aware of it, you still can't tell me it's fair. Harry Kane is still gaining an advantage by being offside and being goal side of, of Mustafi in yeah. that action. And in the end, Mustafi is reacting to it because of Harry Kane's positioning being offside. Yeah. Whether he's making a play with the ball or, you know, air quotes, active is not, uh, no. you know, is, is irrelevant in, when, when it comes to the acts of fairness and what, the advantage. What is unfair is to expect a defender to process all this through their brain mm. in, in such a, a short period of time. That is unfair. These rules are put in place, in my opinion, to get more goals, to get more the ball in the back of the net more. And as a defender and someone who loves to see great defending, I just think we're getting too far towards that. And it's you know there is an art to that kind of defending. And so when you're you're weighing everything in the the forwards favour. It's uh, really disappointing. Before we move on, Arsenal, Manchester United next week. Um, Arsenal now, they've shown us something here. You know, yeah, a, few weeks, a few weeks ago, you know, I have to say, you know, some dismal results again. The City won and you think, okay, they're not going to get the top four. But they've got a chance, haven't they? Yeah. And I think that's what the fans would have asked for at this stage. Still in the Europa League and, and, and a chance to get in that top four as they go through what is a little bit of a transition year. Yeah, they've got a very good chance that they've found a bit more solidity to their play I don't think they're as high nowhere near as high certainly not today mm. uh, but they're not as open as they were and and you know he's he's sort of accepted that he doesn't have the pieces to play that real style of football that he wants and, and credit to Emery because it takes uh, a lot of humility and a lot of guts to do that it would be easy to be stubborn like we see a lot of managers these days uh, maybe Sarri being one of them in the Premier League but it, it, it's difficult to sort of accept okay not quite there take it back a step or two, be difficult to beat, use the strengths that we do have. And they did that perfectly well today. And if you keep that up, they're going to have a, a very good chance, KJ, of getting one of the Champions League places. Yeah, after playing United, they're, they're really their toughest games are Wolves away, Watford away, Leicester away. Uh, no teams uh, to play after that in the top six. So yeah, a, a real chance for Arsenal. Uh, Toronto FC fans, we are getting to your game very shortly. Before we get there, let's do the El Clasico. We, speak, we spoke about it on our live show, El Clasico in midweek with the second leg of the semi-final of Copa del Rey. Today was um, again at the Bernabeu and again um, Barcelona were the, were the victors here in a game where I thought was... The, a strange one, particularly in the first half, not one of tremendous high quality. And then in the end, in the second half, kicked into gear. But a strange atmosphere around Madrid, a game where some players were not anywhere near at the races. I'm thinking of players like Tony Cross and Gareth, yeah. Gareth Bale. We're watching a Madrid team that is clearly in transition while still trying to compete for trophies. And then obviously Ronaldo has since departed, but you know, no Marcelo there with Reguilón being decided, decided to play there in that yeah. position. Um, as I said, Cross was, Cross was moved away. They took Casemiro off at the end. The you know they're throwing on Valverde they're throwing on Asensio um, so it's a, it's an interesting team to watch at the moment and in the end I think Barcelona had the, the more than enough quality and you know a, 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 good, a great game to watch and, and the centre-backs were absolutely marvellous for Barcelona Yeah a, a fascinating game to watch and it wasn't the same high level of attacking quality we expect from an El Clasico but that doesn't matter at this stage of the season we're into March it's about winning trophies now and Barcelona have just went into their, their greatest rivals uh, home stadium in the Bernabeu and, and came away with a victory again and they showed everything needed and and they showed 
everything about the character that, that, that they have been under uh, Ernest Valverde. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely brilliant, tough, horrible to play against, but still with that flair, that quality, the moments of, of genius. And this was a day about the defending. And as good as Barcelona have been for over a decade, we don't often compliment that. We don't often talk about that. But this was uh, in, into Madrid and, you know, finding a few good moments. I think Madrid kept them to as little chances as I've, I've seen them uh, create in a long, long time. But it wasn't about that. They got their one chance. They, they scored it through a sublime little chip from Rakitic. They showed the frailties of Real Madrid defence when Ramos comes out and um, Varane doesn't come over. A number of issues with them. Mm. You see how they don't quite fluidly defend. And Barcelona were magnificent at the back, KJ. Mm-hmm. Pique was the best player in the park by a mile, in my opinion. Longley wasn't far behind them. Busquets in front of them was tremendous. But just, I want to say something about Pique. You know, not not that old at 32 years old, but magnificent. The mm. way that he just revitalises his career. We keep thinking, okay, we're starting to see the end of Gerard Pique. And he just finds someone else. He, he, he takes lots of stick from lots of people. Mm. And the level that he plays at, defensively, the positions that he pick, picks up in the box are phenomenal. I'm telling you, he's always there. He's like a magnet to the ball. And it's so graceful. It's not as um, spectacular as some defenders. Maybe even a Ramos where, you know, he's flying at things and it's it, it's very flamboyant the way Ramos defends when he defends well. Mm. He didn't defend well today. But when Pique defends well, it's just really simple. He's just in the right place. Usually it's a pass from an opposition player right to his feet, intercepts it, plays it away. He's brilliant on the ball. He does everything. He leads in his own quiet, authoritative manner. And alongside Langley, they were tremendous today. And uh, he's really going to be good for that young lad because he's a player in the making. Longley, we've liked him for a long time. Long time, yeah. Long time. um, Big fan of his for a long time. You know, he was at at Nancy and then Sevilla picked him up and he played there for two seasons. We covered him a lot for Sevilla. And... That's what big teams need to do. Yeah. When the other team picks, a, when a, when a, a relatively good side like Sevilla pick up a, a player like that, and you instantly see him, and you go, no, no, he can play for us now. You know, that's what you need to do at Barcelona. Yeah. He's twenty three, can play there for the next t- decade, and you know, and I think you make a great point about partnerships because I think he's made PK better. Omtiti's a little bit more aggressive, yeah, and will step into things a little bit more. And then you've got the grace and the calmness of Longley. He's got a he's got a little bit of Laporte in him, you know, yeah. the way he plays the game, way that he reads the game as well. And I think that PK and him are a really good combination. I, I love that the way that they played today with Busquets. Busquets got a, a yellow card after 90 seconds. It didn't affect him playing <laughs> that at is all. That's a tightrope, isn't yeah. it? The, the it, you know, in the yeah. end, he was removed you know, with a minute left in the, after another tremendous performance. You know what I like about uh, PK and Longley first is that they wait on things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, a great point you've just made there. Um, TT and, and Ramos, and we'll get to TFC in a minute with, with Simon on a different level, but they, they, they step, they're very aggressive they step into things and it can really catch you out at times because yeah. it leaves space for people to run into and I know playing with a guy, guys in the past that used to step out I hated it because then you're double guessing you may have to go over and cover but you have your own man so you're you're choosing lesser of two evils at that moment and so when you have two guys that are on the same wavelength and especially today they just waited on everything coming to them 
that takes calmness and it, it takes uh, communication between the two and they did that really well. Yeah, they're, they're like the guardians of the gates, you yeah. know, there's guard and the other guys is like aggressive bouncers yeah. who just keep stepping forward and <laughs> stopping everything and sometimes you can get around the bouncers, yeah. you know what I mean? These guys, no, you're not getting around them, you know, and in the end, you know, um, Big Ben's as, as some commentators like to refer Benz. to him, he got, oh. he got he, in the end he was almost playing midfield, mate. He was. He got deeper yeah. and deeper and deeper because Longley and PK just weren't having it. There was a moment in the game, by the way, where Vinicius had the ball, steps inside and PK falls to the ground and he's lying on the ground and he's still defending. Yeah. He actually cuts down the angle by shifting over more as he's lying on the ground and then of course the, the shot gets away. Who blocks it? Longley because he yeah. cut the angle down because PK was like still still defending on the ground. He just gave him that extra split second to get across. Longley was there. I think it came off his right hip but it was because of PK just making Vinicius move it and move it again. Maybe another couple of touches and it was a big moment in the match. It looked like Vinicius was going to score. A word on that front three. Benzema tried his best to get in the game, couldn't. Vinicius was easily the best attacker. And there was another guy on the right-hand side who we were complimentary a, a few podcasts ago in the Welsh international, Gareth Bale, who was non-existent. He's been moaning, he's been screaming for a start. Uh, you know, and he's been put out there by Solari today and said, on you go, biggest game of the season, mm. go and prove to us why you should be in there. And he was awful. He was absolutely awful. And I, I think it's probably the, the last nail in his coffin as a Real Madrid player. I, I think agree. he's going to be back to, to England or somewhere else very soon because I just don't think that, you know, he was getting booed a lot by the, the home crowd in the Bernabeu as well. And, and that's usually a, a, a nasty sign, isn't it? And uh, his time's going to be up there because it wasn't good enough on the biggest stage. Nowhere near good enough, no. Um, Barcelona outplayed Madrid and they, they outplayed him in midfield. We talked about Rakitic. Arthur was tremendous. Yeah, Arthur. Um, you know, Arthur was tremendous, brilliant. as was, you know, um, Busquets and, and Rakitic got the goal. A, a brilliant finish. Just the, the lob over the goalkeeper, so cool and calm. Great movement as Great well, movement, wasn't yeah. it? Just yeah. sucked Ramos in, sucked the midfield in, saw that gap, ran into it, and then the finish was just amazing. To run at that speed and to just scoop it over the goalkeeper like that really uh, really outwitted Courtois and uh, brilliant play from Rakitic Messi was pretty quiet I thought he was playing a little bit of groin we saw him he was. you know looking towards it and he was playing very aggressive wasn't he mm. had the little spark with Ramos and like that. a few other players I like that as well yeah uh, Dembele adds that, that pace on the left and stretches the team a little bit this was a day about teamwork for Bar from Barcelona and I really loved it because it was different. I agree. It wasn't the team that we expect and it was almost like in some ways the kind of the pinnacle moment in Valverde's spell there. He went in there and he went into such a flamboyant team and he made them a bit tighter and they played the 4-4-2 and became way more solid and took a lot of stick, stuck to his guns, yep. stayed with the style brought in some players that he felt had a bit more grit and a bit needed to take Barcelona Barcelona, sorry, into the post Iniesta and Xavi era. And today was the day that all of that was justified because they're probably going to win La Liga at a canter. They're, they're probably going to win Copa del Rey and, and they're one of the favourites for the Champions League. So that man could walk away with three major trophies, the treble. And, and I think if he does, I think he might anyway, but I think he might step away at the end of the season. Yeah. because I do because it's it's very hard to manage a team like that. The right. pressure that it takes, the energy it takes out of you, what it does to your health. I've got a feeling, especially if there's, there's real success, Valverde might walk away and take a break. 
much work for Real Madrid to do. We might be getting a little bit more into Real Madrid later in the show. So we'll move on um, from one number four midfielder in Ivan Rakitic, who scored goals, to another number four midfielder in Michael Bradley, who scored two goals yep. for the first time in almost 10 years, March 14th, 2009, the last time Michael Bradley got a brace in a game. Um, and he did it today against uh, Philadelphia Union in, in an enormous occasion where we heard heading in to the Toronto FC season everything that you want to hear out of a team where they talked about their cohesiveness, how they talked about the energy of the group, how they talked about being there and battling hard and showing what they needed to do um, and moving aside the ones who weren't buying in and the culture that they needed to bring. And in the end today, I thought it was more about that than the actual quality on the field. And in the end, that was what won them the game. Yeah, well, we heard a lot of words coming in and, you know, we wanted them to prove it and prove it they did. Mm. And that's what sport's all about. That's what the highest levels of football is all about, you know, stepping up and answering the critics wrong and just telling you this is why we're here. And we saw a team completely committed to what their game plan was today. It was it was horrible. It wasn't pretty all the time. They were the better side because of that, because of that spirit. Um, and the three at the back worked after a, a difficult start for Laurel Simon where, where Pico got some space, especially down that left-hand side. Do you think they reacted to it? Did they drop a bit deeper? Yeah, they? they did. Yeah. Someone got a word to Simon or he worked out himself, but I think it was a word on to say drop off a bit. He was way too aggressive in his pressing, something that was seen from him before, but I think he felt, OK, I can almost do what I want as a defender here because I've got Drew Moore behind yeah. you. But... Pico is quick and he was moving and he was taking up great positions that it was impossible for Drew Moore to get over. There was a few that he flashed across, one that I can remember where Mavinga made a brilliant tackle. He came across, Mavinga was pretty solid today. Drew Moore marshaled that, that back three, but a better shape to them. I, I did like how De Leon was flitting between a kind of high midfield role and a, a striker role mm. to support Jordan Hamilton. Um, and, and Delgado was pretty solid in the middle of the park even though he, he, he sort of moved from that base a little bit more but when he was in the base the captain Michael Bradley took that upon himself to move forward and I've thought this for years I, I, you know, I, I played in Michael Bradley's debut for Toronto FC in, in Seattle and he was absolutely outstanding it was a season opener what was yeah, it was 2014 there. 2014 yeah and he was all over the park mm -hmm. he was everywhere he went he pressed he broke things up he played it simple he got in the box and it was the first time I'd ever played with him and I thought what a player he is and then I felt he went away from that a lot of times in his TFC careers some different success through that at times he'd play in the defensive area and he'd be absolutely brilliant defensively set up the attacks the tempo of TFC has been dictated by this man for a number of years. But I personally still like him when he gets around the park, KJ. I think that's been his biggest strength mm -hmm. in his career. And so I like it when he has license to roam around, break things up, take up positions that are maybe a little bit higher because he can do the kind of things that he did today, drift into the box at the right time, into the back of the net for the first one, and then the second one a wee bit more, a wee bit more fortuitous, but stepped into the box at the right moment and an emphatic finish and uh, a great performance by the captain a great performance by his team all round yeah first goal for 85 competitive games as well um, you know to, to, to pick up on your point I think that those who want Michael Bradley to be a little bit higher 
like the way, the way that he strikes the ball. Yeah. You know, we've seen goals like that before in his past. You know, I grew up watching him when he was younger and I remember, I remember being at the under-20 um, World Cup in Canada in 2007, being at the game against Uruguay when he scored in that game. And he had that about him. I think he scored maybe 15 or 16 goals one season when he was in Germany as well. So he's he had that as a player yeah. and got away from that and, and got a little bit deeper. And in the end, you know, maybe he was told that's where the, the team wanted him to play. But I do think that if he's going to be, if they're going to be playing this formation going forward, that it's, I always felt that somebody a little bit more defensive responsibilities can take the pressure off him a little bit more. That could be Marky Delgado. I'm not convinced yet, Yeah, but it seems like there's already been a bit more of a, um, an idea spoken about making Delgado more of a deeper player this year. Um, And and that might be a good thing because if that allows Bradley to get forward a little bit more, then I thought that's certainly something we saw today where when you play that back three, far far too often in the past for me, um, it almost became a back four because Michael Bradley was so close to that back three as well that it didn't, that it became too easy for the opposition. And what I also liked about him today sometimes was that he actually stepped into Medunian when he had the ball Yeah, and he wasn't scared to press high. And often when you play in this shape, Stephen, and you had Dillion on the wide right, you had Azorio wide left, he was very high at some point. And then you've got your fullbacks as well, also in those wide areas. You've got to be able to suffocate the teams in central areas, even when they're playing with possession to take them away from the game if you've got Bradley and Delgado sitting deep as well as your back three, then they've got a lot of room to invite them and you might be able to stop the, the ball in between the lines, but they're going to have, they're going to get deeper and deeper naturally yeah. by that. So I think that's how they got back in the game. They had a shaky 20 minutes, but maybe the defense line dropped a bit deeper and they stepped it up a little bit in, in midfield with Delgado and Bradley. That's what I thought. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought they, they sort of gave Philadelphia Union a bit too much respect at the start and then they realized that, you know, they weren't that good, or they, they, they don't really have their four four two diamond down to. They were disappointing. You know, they be were honest. very disappointing. Very very poor. And and one of their strengths with Madunyanin being there, being a playmaker on the ball, is also one of their weaknesses because he's not mobile mm. and there's space round about him. And I think TFC recognised that, got more pressure on him and others particularly, and then moved off that that good uh, pressure, winning the ball back, and then playing from it and I think Bradley set the tone for that and we've saw him press before he likes to press mm. but often is that only pivot in the, the, the deep midfield area he presses at wrong times and against really good players gets played round and then there's space there but today they had the perfect balance when Bradley was roaming forward a bit to go and press Delgado had the intelligence to come round I'm with you I, I'm not certain he's the the, the best player for that but I do think that Greg Vanny or I know Greg Vanny likes him a lot as a, a player mm. and I do think he wants to try and make him into that player encourage him to play there because more creativity is needy going forward so the only way that Delgado plays regularly in a really good TFC in my opinion is if he learns how to play that role better and I think he can do that he had a decent game again today outstanding on Tuesday and he frees up Michael Bradley a little bit. So if, if, if I'm Greg Vanny, I'm encouraging Bradley, do more of that. I want to see you up the field a bit more, roam around a bit. TFC have became too predictable as a team with Bradley at, at the base of that midfield. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Everyone knows he's going to dictate the pace. A man just gets on him, slows that down, makes it difficult for him to get in the ball as free as he would like and then plays off him and we've saw teams destroy TFC like that in, in, in recent times and so they need to evolve KJ and change a little. Evolving is the word. Um, 
I'm hesitant to bring this up now because maybe it's better, better for the future, but there will be TFC fans driving around, walking to, to work or on the commute going, okay, well, what are we going to do when Pozuelo gets here, lads? <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Because yeah. we, we are, that, that is a fair question. And I'm going to throw one thing at you right. and see what you think. Um, what about Simon at right back? Now, hear me out because if it's not that much different from today, you play C, because look, they can't play the shape all mm-hmm. season. Okay, if you're gonna bring, if you're gonna tell me you're gonna sign Alejandro Pozuelo and you're gonna play this shape, where do you play Pozuelo? He's gonna play where Nick De Leon played. He's not a wide player. But De Leon was not really wide today. He played very central. So what they're going to play is this three four two one, but with the two being Osorio and Pozuelo, really narrow. Now that but puts, they weren't narrow today. They were pretty narrow. De Leon was narrow. De Leon was pretty narrow. He played almost like a striker at times with Jordan Hamilton. That's where I think Putzwell is going to play. I believe that's their best formation to play. It's probably a little bit too negative in home games, so I could see some kind of changes against teams that are going to sit in and and uh, and try and defend for the majority of the I game. Think it's very negative. But away games, I really like it. Simon's going to play. Mavinga's going to play. They've shown so far they're not a great two. They've got a lot of work to do there until I'm, I'm sold in that. So they need Drew Moore's organisational aspect. The three has to go in. The only issue I have with the formation that I just said, the three four two one, is that there's a lot of onus on, on Auro and Justin Morrow on the left-hand side to provide the width and provide it in high areas. So um, I get your point. I know what you're saying. Um, I don't love Simon at right back. I think... Uh, he, he doesn't have the legs to get forward some play there he's played there with the Belgium national team yeah. so you know he, he's played at a high level but I just don't think he's he's got, got enough dynamicism to his game to, to play it really well and so I think assuming that Mavinga and Simon are going to play you have to play three at the back mm, interesting stuff already we're already at three at the back <laughs> when you're signing a DP yeah. player that I'm sorry I don't see fits into that shape okay. I hear your point yeah. um, but for me Alejandro Pozuelo is breathtaking in a 4-3-3 right. as the attack minded midfielder of that three and that's that. That's the, the profile of the player you're trying to find and suddenly now they're already trying to fit him into a 3-4-2-1 and I, I'm not sure and the other thing I don't like about it is I don't think that shape suits Osorio either and I, and I think that it can become very lopsided yeah. and you don't get the best out of Osorio you're asking him to do something he's not the best at which is stay out wide and provide width well, and it, you know and I know Morrow's got to pr- can provide that width yeah. as well um, but the ironic thing today was KJ that Azorio was was going wider than than De Leon. You would think he it was, would be the opposite, wouldn't you? It's where, obviously been told though. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, there was moments where Nick De Leon looked like a centre forward. He, did, he really yeah. did. He was. I so thought high. he had a good game. I do. I do, I do think he had a good game as well. But I, I just think that um, it was all about defending well today, wasn't it? And yeah. I think Greg Vanny was really worried about going into Philadelphia and and being hurt defensively, and so. Uh, TFC were set up with that in mind and they did a great job of, of breaking off that def- defensive shape and in possession I thought they were more vertical with passes than they have been in, in a while certainly last season in MLS and that really helped them today that's the tactical side before we get to Shawnee for the headlines final point on the mental side um, they're, they're, they show today for me uh, a team very much of proud individuals that felt like they had a lot to prove Yeah, and I thought that Philadelphia poked the bear 
Did you? Yeah, they won't come up, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think TFC respond well to that. Yeah, I they think, loved it. I think they like that. I think they like that bit of fight about them. And I think they felt like no one's picking us to get, I'd say nobody. Yeah. We, we think they should make the playoffs. Of course. Some people in the United States MLS predictions didn't give them the credit that they felt they deserved. Already going in there with a bit of a message to show. And then suddenly Philadelphia think they can kick the, kick the you know what out yeah. of them. And it didn't work. No, I, think work. I think that suited TFC. It did. It gave them that little bit of extra impetus to just you know, grind it out and that was an important thing to recognise today that there was a lot of grind to that performance. It wasn't all pretty. It was it was about being difficult to beat and and, and showing that resilience that you can hold on to a lead and um, I, I thought they did that really well and it will give them great confidence because they're still very fragile. They need confidence. Mm. They need to try and build up that, that mentality to towards what it was uh, a few years ago when they were when they were just steamrolling everybody else. So I, I think this was a big day for Greg Vanny and his troops. And next game is, I believe, the Friday night uh, 17th, is it? The Sunday no, night. Sunday. Sunday night. New, yeah. New England. Sunday night, the 17th against New England. And um, I believe we're going to do a show after that game, maybe from BMO Field, Sean. So over to you uh, for headlines. Thanks, KJ. We're going to start off because there are so many games this weekend that we're going to start with a couple games. We just finished our list watching the Vancouver Whitecaps as they fell to Minnesota in their home opener. Uh, this was our first look at Mark DeSantos' squad. What did you guys think? I thought they looked like a team we've not played together before Yeah. Um, competitively. And look, started well. Um, let's talk of positives. Goodoy, I thought, played well. Uh, he got the goal after six minutes from a very good free kick by Rayner. And in the end, Mark DeSantos used the word rushed in his halftime interview. I thought that they were rushed yeah. in possession and they could have put them away, really. I thought that Minnesota were disjointed, for, certainly for the first 30 minutes. They didn't really get quite any quality of passes together and they didn't, they didn't get enough quality in the game. But in the end, you know, I thought that the midfield started to take over. Arise, who started very well in, in he's an elegant player, two-footed, can clearly dictate the way they want to play. I thought in the end they put a lot of pressure on him and, you know, in the end it led to two mistakes. Yeah. Not necessarily by him, but certainly in the third one. Darwin Quintero, the best player in the match, really targeted Arise and he couldn't play out in possession. And in the end, people like Bangora just, you know, drifted out the game. Yeah, he did drift out the game. He had a promising first half Bangora, but he lost a lot of energy and, and was running down alleys really in the second half, dead dead ends where there was nowhere to go. And I, I thought Minnesota and, uh, did a brilliant job of making the Whitecaps predictable in the second half. And, and what I mean by that, you, you hit the nail on the head, KJ, into Arise and then the pressure from Quintero mm obviously for the third goal, but in a number of other occasions where they just squeezed in on the ball, they really closed in on that shape. They knew the game plan of Vancouver Whitecaps was to play short, sharp passes, try and move the ball up the field like that. And I, I thought it was very predictable at times. And Minnesota took great confidence from the halftime. Adrian Heath must have said some interesting stuff because they came out with a different mentality, different mindset. They gave themselves a bit of a shake. They woke up and they were a better team in the second half. And so... There's teething problems. We, we knew there would be. I wasn't too surprised about that. The only thing I, I, I'm concerned about is, you know, you have Freddie Montero as your your main man up top. He's he's a focal point, and it becomes predictable because you can't play up to him longer, KJ. You can't hold the ball up, and so everything has to be short, and it allows teams to just come on to you and just make it 
really difficult to be as perfect as you have to be to play out of that pressure and we found today that they weren't perfect enough Arisi was was pressured on and Bump Wang was a little bit drifting in and out touch disappointed in him to be honest mm. I'm not rating him after the first game of course he's no. going to take time but I, I expected a little bit more creatively um, Daniel Henry brilliant uh, Godoy excellent defensively and ironically the two centre half scored the goals and Nerwinski had great moments obviously big error for the, the penalty kick where you know it's these kind of mistakes that you have to stop if you want to be up near the top of your conference you've got to be so precise with your moments and um, it was a game where Vancouver Whitecaps showed that they've got a lot of work to do before they're going to be competing with the best uh, in their division yeah and I mean Wang I thought had some good moments you know he's got clearly he's got great technique yeah good vision yeah um, sometimes came a little bit too deep and I think that was to try and help that affirmation and struggling with the passing yeah particularly from deep positions because it, it was clear that Felipe couldn't get on the ball and Arise they were just stopping him at source so I think Wang tried to come in and, and, and receive the ball and a little bit to help them out but the problem with that was that then the, the front three were were invisible. You know, they didn't really have anybody to connect with them. Bangor, as I said, drifted out of the game. For me, you know, depending on the, if they're going to sign anybody, but what Darwin Quintero is for Minnesota, you need Jordi Reyna to be that for yeah. the Whitecaps. I'm not sure he is that, and they've never really spent the money on a player like that. But welcome to MLS, by the way, in 2019. You know, because everybody's go, nearly got everybody's that, getting they? one of them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We, we can talk about Gaetan now going to Chicago. Big you know what I mean? Big signing. Quintero was. It was a quality. It was by far and away the best player on the pitch, and it wasn't yeah. close. You get what you pay for. Do you know what I mean? We talk about Pitti Martinez. You talk about Luciano Acosta. You know Iguain. You get playmakers. You know that. You know we talked about the one that TFC want to get next. Yeah, Puzzlewell. That you've got to get somebody like that yeah. to open up the game, and and maybe the Whitecaps do have that in Rainer if he can continue um, going forward and on a trajectory. But as of right now, it has to be said his time at the Whitecaps has, hasn't been what they would have hoped. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't love him playing in that position that he played today. I don't think it's his strength to be that high. Mm. So you you make great points there because everyone that you spoke about is that traditional number 10 who finds a little pocket just in behind the midfield. Where Cantero played today. Exactly, yeah. exactly where he played. Uh, Higuain plays there, Kaku plays there, uh, Gaetan will probably play there. Yeah. That is the key. That's where you want your main man to be centrally, picking up the ball, transition into his feet and then good things happen. We saw from that brilliant ball that Quintero played today for the second Marvelous goal. It was pass. just magnificent, yeah. wasn't it? And over Daniel Henry's head and headed into the back of the net. And uh, that, that's where they have to find a way of getting Reina there. So, you know, no disrespect to Felipe Martins, but creatively, he was nowhere at the races today. We hardly even mentioned on the mm. broadcast. He wasn't on the ball at all. And so I think maybe Rena has to try and play in that midfield role and getting into good spaces uh, rather than in that wide area because I don't, I don't think that's his best position. Four goals in the last two matches for Lukaku at uh, Manchester United. I know we've been pretty down on him the last couple of weeks. I have. <laughs> but, do we, but do we see a way that he uh, stays at the club? Stevie, you want to handle Big Rom? Oh, stays at the club. Uh, the only reason he stays at the club is if they don't get anywhere near their valuation of him and it's not going to be what they paid. Um, he's having a great time. He scored four goals in two games. Four goals in two games. Uh, if, we, if we're sitting here in a few weeks, Sean, and we're talking about 
13 goals in 11 games or something like that then maybe I'll entertain it a little bit but I still see deficiencies in his game he needs confidence this will help but I don't think he's a man to lead Manchester United forward in that central area I think he'll prohibit Rashford's progress as well and so I think he's doing a job just now and a very admirable job and the guy scores goals so uh, you know he's got the Belgian record he's scored goals everywhere he's been he'll go somewhere else and he'll be a good player for that team I just don't think he's a Manchester United number 9 I don't think he's a United number 9 either but uh, as the cure once sung he's going nowhere right now for me <laughs> I'm sorry I just don't know where else he's who's going to buy him you know they spent £75 million on him what, what are you going to do well that's what I said you're you stuck with him unless you, I mean. you decide your number's 55 or whatever it is and someone pays it and then I think he's gone But to be fair he was tremendous today against Southampton wins the game um, two you, great finishes two great finishes and um you know, he, 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 he delivered when they needed him to deliver. Every credit, they, you know, he, he stepped up. And I actually think his link-up play was good as well. But as I said on the broadcast, the, the third goal comes out of the fact that the, the defenders didn't, ex- didn't think he's going to do it. Yeah. You know, Yoshida and Bednarek just give him a split second longer than they thought. And yet, but, you know, here he goes back to goal, turns around, just fires it with his right foot and it goes in. So, um, yeah, as things are happening right now for, for, for United, 32 points, I think, out of 36 for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in the Premier League. Yep. So, uh, yeah, every credit. Manchester City picked up another three points today. KJ, you covered the match for TSN today. Uh, anything catch your eye? Well, apart from Arthur Burrich being a horrendous, horrendous goalkeeper, um, I could the have good got, and the bad. We I called could have it, got down we? quicker on the on the goal by Mares at the near post. Um, just a just a dreadful error by the goalkeeper. I felt for Eddie Howe, but I, I believe, and I didn't check this, but I believe I heard that City had eighty two percent possession. We covered. I, I showed a lot of clips at halftime. Yeah. Bournemouth just played a, a five four one and one being generous because King was basically the midfielder and the five and the four were defenders. The deeper and deeper and deeper and the City couldn't really break them down. Key injuries, De Bruyne are off, Stone's off, Laporte's already injured, Fernandinho's already injured. That's something that I think will be even bigger than actual the game. In the end, it was just, City just had to get out of there with three points. We're taping this Saturday before Liverpool play, but that gets them a point ahead of Liverpool yeah. with one game to play, uh, with, with one game in hand. But City need to win games like this, but going forward, going for a quadruple, I know what, the thinking and Guardiola even said it this week before the game they need players and, and they're going to sign them yeah they're going to sign them in the summer they're not going to rest in their laurels whatever happens this season uh, they're going to bring in some new recruits and I think that they need it and I don't know what you thought KJ but I was disappointed in Eddie Howe and, and the tactics from Bournemouth yeah. I expect them to have a little bit more of a go I don't expect them to come out and you know open up and try and play City but they really just went back and defended as an 11 or as a, as a 10 with King just floating around up there. Damage control, I think. Yeah, maybe. but... After, I mean, they've conceded 41 goals in the last 18 I games. I get that, but, but they've been they've been a lot better at home than they have been away. Yeah. I thought there was a chance for them. Usually Eddie Howe's very, very astute tactically. He has a plan. Even at Etihad in previous years, I've been very complimentary yes. during the games against uh, City v Bournemouth. At Etihad, he's, he's had a plan. His line's been higher than a lot of teams, but today it was just dropped right off Go back and defend. I was keeping an eye on it. I was on the Manchester United game, but that's what I saw from Bournemouth. And so that disappointed me. And for City, it was just about finding a moment, picking the passes. They had the one in the first half from David Silva. He should have did better. And then, uh, obviously, uh, Mares gets the goal in, in near side of Boric, where he should have saved it. And you're right, it's all about A, the three points, the most important thing, but B, the negative, the injuries. Mm. The games are going to come thick and fast. De Bruyne has got a a slight hamstring. Who knows what it is? But what I do know is 
He's not been firing all season. So when he comes back from this, he's going to be tentative. And they need a Kevin De Bruyne at the top of his game if they're going to win the Champions League, you would think. They need a player of his quality to, to drive them forward and they'll be missing him all season. And I think thinking that a team can go for a quadruple is a tall ask at the best of times. But when you start to pick up the injuries and it's coming to two or three your your best players, your better players, then in the end you just come a little bit unstuck. And I, I fear that's going to happen to City, especially in the Champions League. Yeah, I think defensively they've got a lot more settled since losing at Newcastle. But I do think that going forward, they are not quite firing. You know, we, I mean, I know that the 120 minutes at Wembley was a bit of a result because of how they played, but, you know, the yeah. getting fatigued and then 1 0 against West Ham penalty, 1 0 against Bournemouth goalkeeping mistake. So keep an eye on that. But David Silva not quite at his best over the last month either, but, either, but Bernardo Silva's been tremendous and so is Aguero. Nick Romando announces retirement at the end of the 2019 season. Are you guys fans of victory laps or is it all just silly? I'm I'm all in. I'm surprised Stephen Cobble didn't do a victory lap. Did you do a victory lap at all? No, because no. it's silly. You're, you don't, you don't, don't like, like it? No. Why? Because you retire when you retire and you just call it that day and you say thank you and right. you move on. You don't announce it before a season unless you're Kobe Bryant or somebody like that, you know, and no disrespect to Nick Romando. He's been a terrific goalkeeper, but just play out your last season. Be the great professional you've been. But he's RSL's Kobe Bryant. Yeah, but come on. Just play the games. I don't like that, you know, and there's no. going to be this big thing made by MLS and let's salute Nick Ramondo and just yeah. overhype the whole thing. They will, know? but that's not his fault, though. I, I'm with it you. It is his fault if he announces, announces it, because if he just waits till the end of the season and hopefully for him he's lifting MLS Cup and he, you know, announces it right on the field then, I'm okay with that. Isn't, that what, isn't that what Jimmy Nielsen did? Didn't he just retire with an MLS Cup in the, yeah. Yeah. yeah he did yeah. yeah. anyway uh, I don't mind it but I, I guess I'm seeing it a little bit from the fan point of view they'll enjoy watching him and all that but um, look if he comes to BMO Field this year and they're handing him a bunch of prizes and all that stuff like I'm a big baseball fan and like Chipper Jones I know Chipper Jones is a Hall of Famer and he's a bit of a different class than Nick Romando but bear me out here I'm an Atlanta Braves fan um, a big fan and like like Chipper would get all these presents everywhere he would go like Jeter <laughs> with the Yankees like he went to like Florida and they handed him like a surfboard and all this stuff like I just need presents there's Derek Jeter like he's yeah. got enough presents like he's got enough exactly. things yeah he can buy every <laughs> one of these can things can buy himself. whatever he wants mate <laughs> Earlier in the week, Claudio Ranieri was sacked after three months on the job. Uh, he had three wins in 17 matches. Did he get a fair run as manager, or should he have more time with the club? Uh, we didn't agree on the last one. I think we're going to agree here Yes, he, he got more than a fair run, and uh, it was abysmal. And the sad thing about Ranieri is that he got the job on his reputation from Leicester, and that reputation's kind of been spoiled because yeah. he's gone to Fulham and been basically done what he did in the jobs since Chelsea, since uh, then and prior to then, yeah. Leicester. Um, I feel for him a little bit. The, the, the clubs are shambles. The recruitment was poor. They just have no identity defensively. They just melt down in games and, you know, and crumble. And um, this is going the way that a lot of teams go when you get three managers in the Premier League, which is back to the championship and a lot back to the drawing board fast. Yeah, it seems like that. And I, I think it was the wrong choice to bring in Claudio Ranieri. Uh, his greatest moment was of course with Leicester and that was the right club for him and, and, and before that like you said Casey and since it's been nowhere near good enough and we went into Fulham and we were very sceptical at the time and unfortunately for Ranieri because he's a lovely man everybody likes Claude Ranieri he's a class act the way he goes about things and he has a deep knowledge of the game of, of football but it was the wrong choice to bring him into Fulham and, and we've been proven to be correct 
what did he get right? Not a lot. I mean, they were open under Jukanovic. He went and he tried to make it more solid. Didn't really do that. Took away maybe some of their creativity. Uh, messed around with a couple of their better, younger assets and players in Session Young and Kearney. Really did not have any trust in either. They guys had to deal with the whole saga with Kamara where there was you mm. know an incident in the training ground. Set back Young's development big time too. Big time, big yeah. time. And really affected a, an important asset for the football club because... You know, if I'm another team right now, I'm not suggesting that he's lost his talent, but I'm I'm, I'm putting in a, an offer for less money because yeah. I know that um, that he's sort of setting back that little bit. But maybe that was one of the reasons why he's on the way, but it didn't do do well at all. And I think they made the smart move just to sort of semi accept that they're going to go into the championship and start to prepare for that. Scott Parker has the job, I think, just now on a, mm-hmm. an interim basis, KJ and. Um, you would think Scott would be a, a good manager. I know Scott pretty well. We, we shared an agent for a long time, and so we'd we'd bump into each other pretty regularly. And uh, great guy, complete winner. Never seen him coach, but I, I know the attributes he has as a person and as a, as a player. And so I expect him to bring that same kind of energy to management. MLS roster compliance was yesterday. We have two headlines from that. Firstly, Spurs legend Giovanni DeSantis was bought out by the LA Galaxy as he was the fourth designated player on their roster. The league still holds his rights. So at this point, do you see him playing in the league or do you see him transferred? Um, I think he might play in the league. What do you think? You I think, don't know. You don't think? There's a chance? There's a chance. There's definitely a chance. But First of all, this is pretty fresh. Were you surprised? that he was bought out I was I thought they'd figure between the league and the team they'd figure a way through this you mean like LA Galaxy figure away in inverted commas yes Yeah. Uh, did you not no because of the the uproar from people because the Galaxy have been getting away with this for years but you I know, get a feeling away that the league the, there's a lot of teams in the league who wanted them to get away with it yeah, maybe because, because they're doing it as well. Because they want to push the the, the more the, the more yeah. you play as you can play. The, 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 they basically there's a lot of people in this league who don't even want like a cap anymore. Yeah, so or two they want to get away with the four DPS and not even three. Just yeah. get to two and you get you can spend more money on on, on on filling out your roster in better areas. Yeah, the haves want that and the haves not want to keep the the tight yeah. salary cap, the budget, everything that's there, but. Is there any difference here? Well, there is now because they've bought him out. But was there any difference between this and 18 where they brought in Zlatan and he was a TAM player, mm. but he was clearly set up to be a, a designated player? You know, everyone's always twisting the rules here and manipulating them for their own benefit. And this time, probably because of the pressure of, of, of fan um, engagement, mm. the league's decided, no, you guys have to get this sorted. And there was no way of sorting it for them. They just couldn't wiggle it around he had to to go and he had to and they couldn't sell him because nobody wanted to take him because let's face it his form's been pretty awful well that's I was going to say while. that yeah. that's, when, that's what I was going to say because that might be another reason why they didn't really worry about buying him out because they can still go spend the money and get tan players yeah. do you know what I mean and they might be better for it like yeah. imagine if they're trying to figure out a way and kept the Santos they might have been like no actually we don't want the help we yeah. just want you know what I mean and yeah. it went all Good the point. way and, yeah. and it went all the way to the last bell and the, the, the final bell in the last round and it wondered, everyone was wondering what was going to happen because it literally went to the deadline but that's got to be part of the thinking when you're in the, in the off front office of the of LA Galaxy right now. Yeah. You want to get better, but how much can you rely on him? Because he was very average for 12 months. Yeah, very average. And it was a shame because he had a great start, didn't he? When he first went to LA, he was very exciting. He was. One of the best players in the league. And then he just lost his way. And I'm wondering if he's going to 
find that way back. He's, he's such a mercurial talent, Giovanni Dos Santos. And I actually played against him in a championship game. He went to Ipswich on loan. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I played. Uh, Burnley went there to Portman Road and he, and he played. And Oh, he's a wonderful, wonderful player at championship level. But it shows you the kind of... The, the levels that he hit you know yeah. for playing with his, his national team and the quality moments he had he was a Barcelona player at he one was. point as well hey, championship's a good level mate. it Don't, is a good level but Giovanni De Santos will look back on his career or look in a mirror and wonder why he ever played in the championship because the talent that that lad had mm. he should have been at a higher level his entire career and he's let it slip yet again and I'm wondering if he's going to be back he's, only he can answer that can he find that spark again can he get himself a little bit fitter he lost his fitness and that's never a good thing for a football player and so if he brings back some fitness and some drive and will to play um, he has the quality to be in this league in MLS or back to Liga MX or anywhere he wants to go I could see him even playing in South American football but mm -hmm. he needs to get fit and he needs to ask himself how much he wants to sacrifice at this stage of his career to get back somewhere near the top Raheem Edwards uh, was sent on loan to a USL affiliate uh, due to lack of international spots in Chicago. Do you expect any interest north of the border for Raheem Edwards? Um, can we say that this is an absolute joke due to a lack of an yeah. international spot that Raheem Edwards can't play? Disgrace. Like it's that a counts It's a as an international uh, slot. I, I, I'm tired. I'm just had. I'm. I'm I've just had. <laughs> You're gonna go on a rant? No, I'm not. Please, I'm stopping myself going Please. on a rant. I'm actually trying to find a, a tweet by uh, our friend Samuel Piet, who right. actually took to Twitter, and I thought very commendable that he actually commented about this on Twitter, not about um, Raheem Edwards, but not that long ago. And now I'm gonna look at it. I bet you he deleted it or something, but hopefully he didn't. No, it's ridiculous that. Canadian internationals are, are counted as international sports when they go and play in the US teams. It's it's something that has to be changed. And I mean, I've got I was, it here. Sorry. You got it. You found it. It was yeah. part of the last collective bargaining agreement, KG. And you know, we were trying to fight for that, but they were saying it's some labour thing, and it was it was it's so frustrating to see that because it affects guys like Raheem in, in their career, and it's uh, it needs to be changed. Um, Samuel Piep did a tweet um, just near the end of February where he did the uh, face palm emoji or whatever it is. Um, uh, that was in response to a tweet by New York City FC when they said that three of their players have received US green cards, including Jesus Medina, Ishmael Tajuri Shreddy and Anton Tinnaholm. All have been granted permanent resident status in the United States, effective immediately. That meant that obviously they were no longer an international player on the roster. So as you can see, Samuel Piet noticed that it's clearly affecting players like Raheem Edwards. Yeah. It's clearly affecting their development. Um, do I see it expecting a trade north of the border? I'm not sure if they want to get rid of him um, at this point. It's just a way of just kind of working around Waiting. the roster yeah. balance at the moment. Um, but um, it's clear that he needs to get... Um, he needs to get back to the level that he was at when it when when some people in these parts were very disappointed to see him go at the expansion draft and obviously after the first year at Toronto FC successful. Yeah, um, great year with Toronto FC and, and and found some great form and it was exciting to see him go to another Canadian team in Montreal Impact and didn't work out at all and only really Raheem and Remy Gard will know why that was but he was moved on really quickly. Always alarming when that happens and then you think okay, face didn't fit. You go to Chicago Fire and, and now you're going to see him kick on and we're going to see that player that was in Toronto and we're going to see even a, a progression of that. And unfortunately, again, we didn't really see it. Uh, I know Raheem really well, obviously a teammate of mine uh, at Toronto FC when he was he was coming through the ranks and 
I've got a lot of time for Raheem. I've got a soft spot for him. He's he's a great kid and I've always found him to be very willing to to listen to advice and uh and, and open to to trying to get better. I always thought he worked hard. But at some places it's maybe been a criticism for him. And again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's up to Raheem what mm-hmm. he wants to do. He's got to take this on. It is a negative, but he can't afford to see it as a negative. He's got to say, okay, I'm going down to USL for a while. I'm going to prove to everybody I should never be back here. Whenever I dropped a level, KJ, that I felt I was better than, I didn't uh, sulk. What I did was I said, okay, and it proved to everybody that watches me every week, whether it was reserves and I was 30 years old or it was Blackpool when I was a kid and I was in League One on loan, I wanted to prove to everybody that I should never be back there. And so, thankfully, I did that a lot of times and it was my attitude that allowed me to do that, not my talent. And so Raheem's going to have to do the same thing here if he's going to have any career at Chicago Fire or anywhere else in MLS. The CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinals are set. New York Red Bulls versus Santos Laguna, Houston versus Tigres, Independiente versus Sporting KC, and Atlanta versus Monterey. I think I know the answer to this one, but which match has you the most excited? You said the best to last, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you were going to ask us to rank them for one second. So <laughs> I, I, I'll go with Atlanta Monterey as one. Uh, Red Bull Santos Laguna is two because that's tasty, no? Yeah, it's very tasty. really tasty. I think Red Bulls, I think they'll have a shot there. By the way, they were brilliant again, weren't they? Um, that, that looks really tasty. And then uh, I think Tigris will be too good for Houston. And um, I think, well, I know Sporting Kansas City will be too good for Independiente. Yeah, Sporting Kansas City will will pretty much wipe the floor with Independiente, I think. Um, The best one's clearly Atlanta Monterey. That's going to be fantastic. Fantastic, I can't wait for that And there's no more monster trucks. No, so they'll be back in the Mercedes-Benz. Unless they've got like Supercross. No, I think Supercross (laughs) is this weekend. Isn't like Bon Jovi or something? No no Bon Jovi, no Falcons games. So no excuses. No no? excuses, yeah. Pack out the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That's right. And let's see a, a full... CONCACAF Champions League crowd because that's going to be a mouth electric game Funes Mori is a class player by oh, the way yeah. for Monterey and, and they've, they've been very consistent Monterey in the last few years yeah. of MX, so uh, they're on the verge of something pretty special as Atlanta have been so I'm, I'm excited for that and I'm with the UKJ Red Bulls against Santos Laguna is going to be great also Tigres Houston I mean Tigres are, are quality but they they sort of let you down at times, don't they? So they do. they, it's up to them to step up. There's a lot of pressure on them in this year's competition. It's about time they delivered. So that'll be interesting to see how that one goes. And uh, really, we're heading towards just some brilliant ties in the quarterfinals and moving forward. Moving on to Ask AFP. Um, make sure to use the hashtag Ask AFP. And uh, thanks a lot for everyone for sending in their questions. Uh, Marcus asks, after rumours of Zizou to Chelsea and Juventus, where do you expect it to land next? I've no idea. Do you? I mean, I, I, I like to try and answer these questions. So I don't know, Qatar? I'm very confident he goes to Juventus, KJ. Are you? In the summer. Really? I am. Allegri's going to leave. It's, it's, it's his time. Where's he going? Well, I, he might take a little hiatus and right. in the right job, the so job think, that he wants. You think Zidane to Juve? I do. I think it's pretty glamorous. I think Juve will mm. be all over that. I think they sort of need that. And um, his success in the Champions League will put him to the top of the list. Fan favourite from his time there. Zidane is such a cool guy. <laughs> he does what he wants. I'm not quite he? sure. He, does he want another job? I'm well, that's sure. what I'm saying. He's so cool. We don't really know. But no. It's going to be a. He's not going to take a job for anything other than 
the excitement, the romanticism, the whatever it is yeah. about that job, you know. And yeah. so Juve springs to high up the, the list because actually. he's been there. And I think with being a different league, he might just take that. But with you, if he turns up in Qatar, it would not shock <laughs> me at all. He's just a guy that that, that literally does what he wants and uh, yeah. uh, so I don't I don't see him at Chelsea I don't see him taking that hassle at oh, Chelsea what, do what you do that for that would be nonsense <laughs> you know what I mean that doesn't Zinedine Zidane come on that's <laughs> like the opposite of Chelsea isn't he like he's like yeah. monotone cool nothing ever phases him you know he's not high and low is he like no like, like Chelsea's perfect for Conte and Sarri you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean it's like it's a gong show and then it's amazing and then it's rubbish and then it's a disaster and then it's like a soap opera you know <laughs> You know, as you talk Zidane, about Zidane comes there, it'd be just boring. Do you know as you chat about that though? I'd love to see it. Everyone else it losing their mind and Zidane just standing there yeah. on the touchline, calm as anything. You know? I don't think I've ever seen him lose his mind. Have you? <laughs> I've never seen him sweat. No. Just stands there. He's soaking. He never even sweat when he played, did he? he just no. stands there and cool at the side. Apart from maybe when he headbutted Matarazzi. Yeah, that was the one time. Yeah, he yeah. lost his cool in the biggest yeah. stage. That's the only time, really. Yep. Yeah. Davis good, asks. Good question, Marcus. Davis asks, if you were to make one MLS prediction that's a bit off the map or go absolutely crazy, uh, what would it be? Well, we've already made Darwin Contero MVP in Minnesota winning the MLS <laughs> Cup. So That's a good one, yeah. <laughs> uh, a bit off the map. I don't know, really. Um, the one thing I would say is that, you know, we've done our research this week previewing the season. There's, there's, there's not many things that really are away off the map. No. You know, I mean... I think Columbus might not make the playoffs and for a team who makes the playoffs every year they're pretty organised and I mean that's a bit of a I, I get it it's a bit off the mark there that's me maybe reaching because of, there's so many teams in the Eastern Conference by the way where you can go maybe maybe not you know it's it's, yeah. uh, it's ridiculous yeah. how wide open it is there's, there's very even new NYCFC don't think they I, I, I think they may not make the playoffs but I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a to quote uh, Davis, I don't think that's a bit off the map. I think NYCFC have taken a bit of a step backwards over the off season. Yeah, possibly. I, I think it would be a bit off the map. You like him it. more than me, I think. I do. I really do. I, I think they've got some talented players, Medina and, and, and such, Tajuri Shreddy. I think Morales. they've got some in Morales, is yeah. brilliant player. And, yeah. Uh, Metritas just went there, isn't he? For he was class today. A large sum of money. By, by Romanian. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like things about them. Two fantastic young Americans as well. Sands, we were talking about him earlier. He's yeah. terrific. I think Mugs. there's going to be a centre half. Parts coming in from, from Benfica on loan. So, there's things that I like about New York City, but I don't think it'd be off the map if they missed it. Columbus is another one, KJ, with their. Uh, transition and losing Greg Berhalter and mm. uh, bringing in a great coach in, in Porter but still I wouldn't be that shocked if they didn't miss out I'm just players. not sure if the, the goal scorers are for those teams that's yeah. kind of why I mention it but yeah good point uh, they don't have one that stands out Zardes can he keep up that form because his history as a player doesn't say he's no. consistently going to score goals but that's going to be the key there in Columbus but yeah I don't I've not really got one to be honest because I think it's still a very open league I do think if a team uh, gets a style and gets a confidence mm. about them they can sort of win every week so one of the, the lower teams of last season getting to the uh, you know the top two places in their conference wouldn't be that big a shock Minnesota. in my opinion Minnesota go. look your, brilliant your, your, Minnesota will win MLS Cup your boy that's Darwin. a bit off the map there you go yeah. I take that back. Darwin, Darwin <laughs> Quintero will be a, um, um, it, that would be an immense night out, by the way. Oh, yeah. MLS MVP award for Darwin Quintero. Uh, a week. It'll be a week. You want to be at that party? I'll be there, yeah. You, you, you'll last longer than me at that party, <laughs> but I'd like to be there for a little bit. 
<laughs> I mean, I won't last as long as you. Might order a cup of tea. But None of us will last I'd, as long as Darwin. No chance. No chance. I actually interviewed Darwin this off-season, and amazingly, it was in the morning. <laughs> Just then for the don't night. Don't know if he went for bed yet, but <laughs> that, that would be a great party. What a player. Uh, Mike asks, out of the three big derbies today, what do you figure is the best rivalry out of the three? Spurs-Arsenal, Madrid-Barcelona, Lazio-Roma. Oh, that's a really difficult question. Mike, what are you doing to me? I'm in the <laughs> 16th hour of the day here. Uh, I will say Lazio-Roma, we watched the game today. Roma were awful. By the way, there's some shocking refereeing decisions today. Kolarov getting sent off. We're yeah. not even touching him. And I felt for Kolarov at the end. We watched the game while we were watching El Clasico. <laughs> he stayed pretty calm, he didn't did he? did stay pretty calm. But Lazio just dominated, didn't they? Roma yeah. were terrible and looked like that Di Francesco's coming to an end depending on the Champions League tenure. Um, that is a bitter rivalry that is that that is quite nasty, actually, in some regards. Uh, probably Spurs-Arsenal, though, as in terms of, like, true big derbies, in terms of everything it can offer, yeah. don't you think? I mean, Real Madrid-Barca is a sexy answer, but do you really think that is a... That it's not a derby, is it? It's not a different cities. It doesn't really count. Me. Not a derby for me. No, I'm, no. I'm with you, KJ. It's... It's clearly the biggest game, but it's not a derby. They're in different cities pretty far away from each other. Um, I'm going to say the romantic version, Lazio Roma, and mm. it's because of the age we are and, and what yeah. we were watching of back course, home, yeah. Gazetta, Football Italia and, and the likes, and Gascoigne playing for Lazio. Yeah. And we remember the big games and, and Gaza scoring that head. I remember in the last few minutes to get the equaliser. Oh, I remember it really we well. We remember it all. The, the so. show was great. They used to have that segment when they used to start off when it said, Go Lazio. Yeah. And I actually, actually think you're saying Lazio, yeah, but no, they're not. Golazzo, Golazzo. Yeah. And it's like everybody thought in England they said, Go Lazio. <laughs> anyway, that's just, a, that it's, just, just, I mean, if you put it, go on YouTube and check out Channel 4's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, James Richardson. James Richardson. Brilliant. Great stuff. Uh, Lazio Roma has to be said, do hate each other. That's what I meant. It was got a oh, lot of it's vicious. Vicious. It's a vicious rivalry. Yeah. So although, I'm taking Lazio Roma. Although Spurs and Arsenal don't like each other much either. I heard. <laughs> Andrew asks uh, if you think Rafa Benitez is going to sign a contract extension at Newcastle. I'm not sure about that, to be honest. I, I think he is immense for the club, and I think there's so many reasons why he should. Um, but one thing you've learned over the years about Rafa is he's very unpredictable. Yeah. And, um, you know, for all Newcastle fans listening, I know we have a lot. I'm sure you're wishing he could. We spoke to some Newcastle fans. Thanks for coming to the live taping on Thursday night. They were very passionate about their yeah. club and they love New- Newcastle and, and Rafa. Um, but I still think he's still trying to figure out whether it's for him. And if, as usual, if a, if a bigger offer comes, which I think he would like in England at some point, he loves the he loves England. His daughters still study there and live there. Uh, I, I can't say for sure that it's a shoe in at this point, mate. I would never say anything's a shoe in with New, Newcastle United and, mm, and Mike Ashley's point. Newcastle United, but I do think this club's gripped him. I think he's in KJ, and I, I, I think he really wants to stay. Obviously, he needs things to to be in his favour, and hopefully, Mike Ashley's going to leave at some point in the near future. And I think Rafa Benitez is is, is banking on that as well. So. My opinion would be, my thought would be that he, he will sign a contract extension because I, I believe he wants to be in England a great deal. I don't think he wants to go back to Europe. I don't even think he wants to go back to Spain. And so I'm not sure where he goes apart from Newcastle. We talked about Leicester a little bit, didn't we? And then he didn't mm. get that. Again, we think about just outside the top six. Does he get a top six? 
Probably not. I don't even think Spurs go for him if they lose Pochettino. And then where does he go? He can't go to Everton. He's, he's, he's the Liverpool manager or he's been the Liverpool manager. So I think he's at a club that has gripped him that he really feels the passion of the fans. He wants to try and get them somewhere near great again. And so he's hanging around, he's waiting, but he's a man of strong principles and his patience will only last so long. And so... If I'm a Newcastle fan, I'm, I'm worrying more if uh, that, that Mike Ashley's going to sell the football club and he's going to get out of the place um, than if Rafa's going to sign a contract station. Because if that happens, I see Rafa being there for a long time. The Football G asks, who do you think Real Madrid should buy in the summer transfer window? We were talking about this a little bit today, actually. Yeah. Weren't we watching the game? We were thinking what a team they, they, they're massively in need of, of, of upheaval. A um, few names that... Um, I'm, maybe I'm thinking of, but by the way, the, the Barcelona's got Frankie de Jong. It looks like they're going to get Matthias de Ligt, but that should be a player Real Madrid buy. Matthias yeah. de Ligt, 19 years old, going to be a superstar player for 15 years. That's how good he is. So there's there's one name right away. Um, Tange Ndombele, who plays for Lyon, uh, could be a very, very good player for them. They need some more legs in midfield, don't they? A little bit more that brings something different. The players they've got now, they're all good players. Obviously, Cruz and Modric are getting older, but... Uh, they need a bit of power in, yeah. in central midfield so uh, that's another name um, I know there's a player at Dortmund we love as well Mr Weigel yeah we love him yeah we think he's he's one of the best holding midfielders in the world you know he's he's obviously small diminutive but he's he's quality passer he's been playing centre half at times and he's for, probably available yeah I think he's available I think you're going to get him um, I just wonder how when we're talking about their midfield and we see uh, Valverde come on today and Ceballos has been getting chances and, you know, Asensio we talked about a little bit mm. and Vasquez. And it doesn't seem like they're capable, but they keep getting opportunities. So somebody's seen someone that we don't. You know, are, yep. are they going to take their game to the next level? Is it unfair for us to really judge the young guys or are they missing someone else? Is it is it the end of Ramos's time? Is it time for... Sergio Ramos to not play as much or step aside. Do they go and get Koulibaly and change that whole defence? You mm. know, something like that. You imagine Varane and Koulibaly mm. at the back. All of a sudden you're thinking about a completely different team. Do they ask the fullbacks to play a bit more defensive? Do they get Hazard? Is he the one, KJ? I think we've we've spoken about that in the past. The rumours of Neymar and obviously Hazard's more than a rumour. Go and get Hazard. Vinicius, Hazard... Benzema or maybe a young striker coming through when Benzema's done and then give these young lads a chance no? Yeah yeah, Ericsson yeah maybe Ericsson for a bit of creativity yeah. in there yeah. there's so many names you know we, you know, they can go and get whoever they want yes. you know when, when they decide okay he's the guy 100 million 130 150 million they're going to go and buy him they just need to get it right and I, I think I believe in the youth of that midfield more than most people I do think it's going to come good and I think that they believe in it as well and so they want to stick with it a little bit more If you call uh, Tottenham up right now and you say here's uh, Gareth Bale and Isco for Harry Kane do you think Tottenham say go on then? Possibly especially if like we said on the live podcast the other night if Harry Kane's saying time for me to move on let's do this properly so I don't it doesn't have to get messy imagine then. getting them to Gareth Bale and Isco I don't know if they can afford them but at some point Tottenham have got to kind of yeah open up open up like well Bale's going to be available this summer isn't he and so maybe they use Bale as a, as a mate I make never would have whoever. imagined when Bale sorry, when Bale left Tottenham I thought it would never go back but Tottenham's a different Tottenham than yeah. he left 
Yeah. And where else is he going to go? Are United really going to buy Bale when they've got Alexis Sanchez on 500,000 trying to get him back in? <laughs> 500,000 grand, grand, yeah. pounds a week? Yeah. Where's he going to go? Chelsea, are they going to sign him when they've just got Pulisic and they want to try to keep Hazard? Yeah. That, revo- that That's two out. Does he really fit Man City's mould of players when they've already got Sterling, Sané and Mares? Yeah. Not really. But that's what I'm saying. If, if you know, Chelsea, for example, Hazard's saying, I'm done, I'm moving, I'm going. Do they use Bale as a, as right. a you know, a sort of, not a swap, obviously there'll be money and Bale, but something like that, yeah. because he's he's probably coming back to English football, Gareth Bale, and, and I, I think it will be to the place of whatever player that they want to pick out of that English club. Good old-fashioned North American trade, I love it. <laughs> Kenny asks, aside from Stephen Caldwell, who would you put on Toronto FC's Mount Rushmore? Oh my goodness! Oh, that is a <laughs> that is a really tough question. Yeah. Um. How old are they? Thirteen. That's a difficult one, though. No? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know how to answer that. I mean, oh. can I, I put Stephen Cobble in there? No, I don't think Stephen Cobble should be in there either. And I Why just not? spoke about myself in the third person, and I hate that. <laughs> um. It's ridiculous that a club of thirteen years is even. You know, it, it is, but we're avoiding his question, aren't we? I'm sure Kenny thinks it's ridiculous. He's just trying to put us on the spot. Trying to wind us up, and ask Kenny. serious questions. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so what? Yeah. What, what are we going to do? I mean, well, if there's one guy that should be on the Mount Rushmore, it's Javinko. That has to be said because of what he's done for the club and the way that he, you know, he, he's took them forward. Well, Javinko and Altador are shoo-ins. Well, yeah, I'd say so. Shoot, like shoo-ins, like for the because of what they've done, the biggest moments. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. So that's two. We've ticked off two. But then if you put the two, you put in Bradley there as well because of what he's that. achieved as a captain. I didn't say that. <laughs> so you're not. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I'm, I, I'm just thinking about it. I've just been. I've just literally heard this question sixty seconds ago. I didn't necessarily say that. But are we spending too long in this we Mount are, Rushmore yeah. question. It's been. It's. But I, I. Yeah. Go on then. Put Michael Bradley there. He's lifted all the cups and trophies. Yeah. And uh, Victor Vasquez. Yeah, that's a good four actually. If anybody's got to go, I'm with you there. I, I don't know who else. I think we should talk about where this Mount Rushmore is going to be within Toronto. That might be a better conversation. <laughs> I was thinking about like if you had to put like a Mount Rushmore of Toronto FC defenders, yeah. then I would definitely have you. Thanks, mate. I appreciate I that. I would definitely have That's you. That's not a great list, to be honest. <laughs> well, before you came, they never really had a good centre-back. And I'm not saying that because you're sitting here. That's a fact. That Tyrone Marshall was probably the best centre-back. Sean, you're good on TFC history. Tyrone Marshall, probably the best. That, I mean, we're not having no Marco Velez's discussions, are we? Come on, let's be no. honest. <laughs> like, Stephen Carwell came. It was fine. I remember finally a decent centre-back, you know, came in. Darren O'Dea had a... Yeah, a cup of tea here as well. He had a couple. Well, he had a, yeah, he had a, you know, he had a, a couple of Tetleys, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, Justin Morrow would be there for a back four. Yeah, he would have to be. Drew Moore would have and to Drew be Moore. There. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. Yeah. We found our Matt Rushmore. There you go. Two oh. different kinds. <laughs> there you go. Kenny asks for one. We get to move him two. Double <laughs> bonus prize. Great, great deal. Uh, last question, uh, and this might be a long answer, but uh, feel free to go at it. It can't be any longer than the last one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Terry asks, is it about time that football adopts similar rules to rugby when it comes to arguing with the ref? As a TFC supporter, it's especially embarrassing to watch as seems what happened today. Yeah, I, I could go on about this for a long time, but then it would just turn into late night te- late night chat radio and we'd be here for another hour and, and what are we now, uh, 14 and a half hours <laughs> into our day. Uh, for me, um, as somebody who watches rugby, uh, not as much as I, as, I, as I used to, it is extremely uncomfortable to watch so many p- 
petulant professionals uh, surrounding an official trying to do his job. Um, Terry uses the example from the TFC game today. I would think about the example from the Champions League, particularly now when the referees are, are required to communicate with another source away from the ground or away from the pitch to try and uh, to do their job. I've always said this, no matter what job you're doing right now, um, if you have nine or 10 people shouting in your face from five yards out, try and keep doing the job. Good luck. Yeah. Why should we ask this, these referees to do it? And anybody who turns around and says that's just professional sport, well, you're wrong because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in other sports. You go, na- you, you name the sports, the rugby is there and there's just, you just don't get, you're just not allowed. You can get sent off. You can get, you know, it doesn't matter the tennis, you can get dock points. It's just, it just doesn't allow it. And this has been allowing it for far too long. And it's interesting now to watch it, to turn this into a little bit of a positive with VAR, how the referee today is using VR as a way of just calming down because so many times we're watching games in Spain and Italy and yeah. MLS where they're screaming at the referee. It's like, I, I, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. And so maybe that's a positive, but they've got to, we've got to find ways to give these referees an opportunity to do their job properly. Rugby is a great example. They're very respectful of the referee. And in the, the cases when it comes to talking to them, it is only the captain's responsibility to do it. Allow these people to do arguably one of the hardest jobs in the sport. Yeah, you said the word the are respectful and it's it's a culture thing it's just expected the etiquette of of how players act in rugby is completely different from from football uh and that's because it's allowed and because as an ex-player i know how i can push their boundaries and, and unfortunately that's just the culture of the sport and so if you really want to change it you have to do something drastic about it yeah you have to start brandishing yellow cards fining clubs vast sums of money that's going to hurt them if there's four, five or more players with roundabout a referee and you, you need to increase the punishment and then it'll be a horrible few months, maybe even a year and people will change because once things change, rules are, are, are made, it's hard at the start and then before you know it, you forget what it was even like before, you know, and so that's what it has to happen here. There needs to be that respect for the referee and the job that he's doing. And I was one of the worst, KJ. So I'm I'm not sitting on a soapbox. Standing you in on Toledo? A soapbox. Me in Toledo, me and everybody else right in front of their faces. But I, I clearly had respect for them, but I knew what I could get away with on the mm. field. I was a captain, so maybe I had a wee bit more rights than everybody else. But I was right in front of the referee's face and I was trying to influence them to make decisions. And we see it far too often within the game because when it happens like it did today in Philadelphia, it becomes really negative it's it's not a good advert for the game of of mls uh, major league soccer it's just horrible you see fabian at the ref bradley's there they know they have to combat each other they're basically telling the guy how to do his job and then everyone else has their you know 50 cents worth and and says the opinion and, and sitting back at the side i can understand I, I was watching it today and it was getting me annoyed on the broadcast but being a player in the middle of that I would have been that guy. Right. I would have been right there, right in his face, trying to influence him in my own way, maybe a little bit different, but I would have been that guy. So the only way we can change it is by harsh punishments and everybody from CONCACAF to UEFA to every single region to FIFA needs to make a concerted effort. We need to come up with strong rules and we need to stick by them if we really want that culture out of the game. Yeah, there's a fundamental lack of respect throughout the entire game. And, and and not only towards them in their face when it comes to body language, but also to not really respecting just how good they are. 
you know, these referees get so much right. Yep. You know, you watch other sports and you just think these, there's, there's way more referees and they're getting way more things wrong. You know, go watch the average NBA game every night and look at how bad them officials are, by the way. Yeah. These, these, most of these referees in our sport are absolutely magnificent. Would I admit that the referees in MLS need to be better? 100%. Can players play a big part in improving that? Absolutely they can, and they should recognise that. They need to understand that these referees are now dealing with a new system in VAR and give them the space and the time to do it. Because nobody wants to stand around waiting three minutes for a, a ridiculous decision like today where you know it's not a penalty yeah. and he's still waiting and holding his ear just in case. Stop. You know, we don't need that. Give him time. And you're delaying the whole process. You're not making the entire thing better better anyway. So, look, nobody cares what you have to say. Just play. Yeah. You know? There has to be more collaboration between football players and referees as well. I think they do a better job of it in England. I've, I've not seen a great job. And our mate Howard Webb's in charge. I yeah. know he has some great plans moving forward about how we can get more collaboration between current players and ex-players to help these referees understand a player's way of thinking and why decisions are made. And and also with that, I do think there is a place for some ex-players to potentially become referees. Let's get rid of the stigma about, you know, that being something that's not really possible. You know, let's try and help and see. And I'm not suggesting that every ex-player can be a good referee. I know there's a different mindset and skill set and positions that they have to get in the field. But... Let's try and come up with a pilot programme of allowing, the, especially here in North America, allowing these lads to come in if they want, experience maybe a, an introductory course, and then and then see where we can take it. Because I've felt this for years, KJ. It was something that I always thought in England, and I guess a part of me knew that I could never make it work. But I think it's we're missing a trick here because I do feel that there may be more respect if there was some ex-pros even involved maybe not that become professional referees but just involved in that process the players would understand how difficult that is you may have seen a brilliant little special on Sky Sports recently yeah, where you? Neville and, and Carragher did it and how many they were getting wrong yep you remember it? I do. And it was, uh, you know, it tells you how hard it is to be an assistant referee or indeed the referee. And so a bit more respect for the job that these guys are doing because it's not easy. And the final point for me is that once that happens, we open up an opportunity to teach. Yep. You open up an opportunity for the world to learn. And we just started this show today talking about a rule that we weren't sure about. And you played the game for a long time. I've covered it for two decades and this rule has changed. We weren't quite sure about that. Imagine that in MLS and how many people would struggle with that. Yeah. And once you give these referees an opportunity to look to, to, to be able to, to communicate to each other and you can hear it on the broadcast, which is what the question says, Terry, about rugby. When I watch rugby international games, and I don't know a lot about the rules, a lot I lived, grew up, but there's a lot of rules in the game. I can listen and learn to an official, talking to another official about why that big decision was made. And imagine if we could do that. Imagine today yeah. in a Premier League game, it may never happen, but just imagine today in a Premier League game where the world is screaming offside and you can hear Anthony Taylor talking to his assistant referee going, okay, no, okay, we're going to give the penalty because the action was he wasn't active yet. He hadn't made a play for the ball and that's why it's a penalty. Done. Everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. And that's that, That's what we want to get to because these guys are magnificent at their jobs and when the whistle starts and the whistle ends, that shouldn't be the end of their, their excellence. It needs to be spread elsewhere.
Good stuff. I think that's the end of the day. That's the end of our show. Uh, we need to get to bed, mate. We've been talking yeah. about this game for a long time. Don't talk tomorrow <laughs> at all, okay? You need to rest your voice up this week. Um, again, once again, thank you for listening to another show. We really appreciate it. Continue to send us questions. Hashtag AskAFP. We'll be back next weekend. Um, rate and review as well for that for us as well. We really appreciate all the downloads. Thanks again for Super Shawnee over there in the corner. Clay, Dylan, thanks everybody. Thank you, guys. Have a good week, guys. Enjoy the games. We'll chat next week.